Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about him, but they don't truly know him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about his eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. At times, it might feel like everything in your life is out of control. But make no mistake, God is still in control. Do you wonder why He lets you suffer? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines why God often allows his children to go through times of hardship instead of intervening with a rescue. To introduce the conclusion of his powerful message, Psalm for a Dark Night, here's David. I want to thank you for joining us. This is a discussion of the 71st Psalm in a series called When Your World Falls Apart. We'll get to the last part of that psalm in just a moment, but before we go there, A couple of reminders. Um, March is just around the corner. It seems like a long way from now, but it is not. And our tour to Israel is March the 12th through the 22nd. Little by little, uh, the rooms that are necessary in the Holy Land are being taken. Uh, We already have a huge number of people who've responded. I only say that because I don't want you to miss this. This is a great opportunity to go to Israel with a group of wonderful people who love Jesus, who love the Holy Land, who love worship, who love the Word of God, and to be a part of this great community that goes to this great land. And it's March the 12th through the 22nd. Muriel Vega and Michael Sanchez will be our guests. We'll do all the things that you do when you go to the Holy Land and you want to be a part of this. Go to our website for all the information and be sure to sign up as soon as you can. Well, today we're ready for uh, part two of A Psalm for a Dark Night. This is Psalm 71. It's one of the psalms I read in the night while I was in the hospital recovering from cancer. And this is a very encouraging psalm. Listen up. What I love about the psalms is they were written by a real person who faced trials just like we face. And he didn't try to put a spin on them. He just told it like it was. Well, you say, Pastor Jeremiah, that's reality of trials and the result of trials in our life. What do we do with them? Someone has said the psalm is filled with great praise and great complaining all at once. And I don't know if that's true, but I know that after you get past David saying what it really was like in his own life, he takes the high road and he shows us a direction. And I hope if you don't hear anything else I say, you kind of write down these few things because I believe these are critical to all of us. We don't have a theology of adversity in the church these days. We've got all of this prosperity gospel that's so permeated all of the stuff we do so that now we have positive this and positive that. And how many of you know that as much as you'd like it to be, life just isn't always positive. Sometimes the positive things get interrupted. I'd like it to be positive, but I'm a very positive thinker. But I'm going to tell you something. If you don't have a plan going into adversity, you won't do very well with it. Sooner or later, all of us face it of one kind or another. Unexpected, unannounced, uncharted, unplanned. What do you do? 
Well, let's follow through with David in his plan of operation. Notice, first of all, the response to his trials. He remembered the character of God. Notice again the first three verses. Notice what he said. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Whenever we face our trials, we need to remember who God is. Sometimes we get so focused on our trials, we forget that. We need to go back as believers and focus on the character of God. It's interesting to me that as you take your pen and you go through this psalm and you mark it carefully, David filled his whole prayer here. His whole psalm is filled with references to the very character of God himself. For instance, he remembers the glory of God in verse 8. In verse 18, he talks about the power and the strength of God. In verse 22, which is a very special part of this psalm, he says that he will remember the faithfulness of God and your faithfulness, oh my God. And here's the thing that really surprised me. And if you could see my Bible, you'd see that I'd written over these words in this psalm. Five different times in Psalm 71, David talks about the righteousness of God. You will find it in verses 1, 15, and 16, 19, and 24. In each of those verses, David refers to the righteousness of God. And when I first saw that, I thought, why? And I'll tell you why. I began to understand that one of the things that comes under assault whenever we face trials as believers is the righteousness and goodness of God. And David understood that the one thing he must do when trials were swirling around his head and when his own children were denying him and not honoring him, the one thing he must never forget was that he had a God who was righteous and good, who could be trusted, and he would never allow that thought to ever get out of his mind. And over and over again, he talks about the righteousness of God. My friend, we have a God who can be trusted. We may not understand what's going on in our lives, and there are many things that have happened to me and to you that I can't give a rational human explanation, but I can lay it at the feet of Almighty God and say with all my heart, He knows what He's doing, and He maketh no mistake. He doesn't make any mistakes. Someone had sent this to me. It was typed on in a little thing and inserted in a card. And it was a quotation from a man by the name of Alan Redpath, who years ago was the pastor of the Moody Church. And this is what it said. This we know. There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has come past God and past Christ right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at this moment. But as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose, of blessing for my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me, no trial will ever disarm me, no circumstance will ever cause me to fret. I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is in his character. He is God. He knows what he's doing. Someone else wrote this to me on their card that was an answer from God to a person who was going through trials. And this is the word from God. You must learn to live with the insecurities and the ambiguities of life. But know this, I am secure. 
I am certain and I am not ambiguous. In the storm, I am your rock that cannot be moved. I am your God. Isn't that what we need? So we come back and we have a sense of the confidence that is ours in God and his character. Second thing, review the compassion of God. I haven't time to talk about this much except let's read the verses together, verses 4 through 6 and then the first part of verse 17. Listen to what David said. Deliver me, O God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man, for you are my hope, O Lord. You are my trust. Watch this. From my youth, by you I have been upheld from birth. You are the one who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. And then in verse 17a, he said, oh God, you have taught me from my youth. What did David do? He simply goes back in his memory bank and he reviews what he knows to be true. That God has proven to be faithful to him throughout all of his life. Isn't that a heritage that we all have? We go back and say, God, you have blessed and been faithful and you've watched over me and guided me. You gave me godly parents from the very moment I was born. I was nurtured on the word of God as if it was my mother's milk. And Lord, you took me through the troubled teenage years when I could have gone south and you wanted me to go north. And you watched over me through school and through seminary. And you took me through the early days of ministry when I could have gotten so discouraged I wanted to quit. God, as I look back over my shoulder at your great compassion, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And every one of you has a heritage like that if you've walked with the Lord for even a few weeks. God has been good to you. And the goodness of God that has been extended to you through your life up to this point is simply a reminder to you that God is good and he is compassionate and that he cares. He's not going to change in the middle of your life what he has been doing faithfully throughout eternity. Third, the psalmist gives us another key for dealing with trials. He says, Rejoice in celebration to God. I didn't see this at first, but then all of a sudden it began to just explode. And what I'd like for you to do, so maybe it will explode in your mind, is in this psalm in verse 6, 8, 14, and 15, and verses 22 through 24. Now watch this. In the midst of a psalm, when David is pouring out his heart to God over the trouble he's had with his son, Adonijah, and crying out to God because of the absolute terrible pain he feels in his heart, his prayer is filled with worship and praise. You say, where is it, Pastor? Let's read this out loud together. This is from the psalm. Let's read together. My praise shall be continually of you. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. Also with the lute I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God. To you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long. For they are confounded, for they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. David just lifts up his voice in praise to God. 
Ruth the Harms Culkin has written a book called Tell Me Again, Lord, I Forget. And in her book, she wrote this little poetic prayer about praise in difficult times. It goes like this. Lord, just today I read that Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten with wooden whips. Again and again, the rods slashed across their bared backs, but in their desolate dungeon, their feet clamped in stocks, they prayed, they sang, they praised. In this musty midnight of my life, Lord, imprisoned in the dungeon of confusion, bound by chains of anguish, help me, please help me to pray, to sing, to praise, until the foundation shakes, until the gates fling open, until the chains fall off, until I am free to share the good news with other chain-bound prisoners. That's what we should pray in the midst of the dark night. Lord, don't ever let me stop praising you. You say, well, I don't feel like it. If you knew what I was going through, the last thing in my mind is praising God. You don't usually feel like praising God in the oncology ward of a hospital, but you do it out of obedience to the Lord, and you watch what God does when you do it. Praise not only benefits God, it benefits the one who offers it. It is a wonderful thing to see how this is a part of David's plan. Then in verse 18, David says that you should renew your consecration to God. And I tell you what, of all the things I read in this chapter, this is the one that stoked my fire. You go through things and you wonder, well, you know, is this the end of the ministry? Is this the end of the road? Is God finished with all this? And I looked at this and this is what it says. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, watch this, God, do not forsake me, here it is, until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. And I took that as my marching orders for the rest of my life. To declare God's strength to this generation. We have an awesome God. Do you know that God can get lost in church? Did you know that? People go to church every Sunday. They don't ever hear anything about God. I've gone to church and not heard anything about God. I've gone to churches well known. And I had my full of television services all the time I was gone where you could hardly know if God was there because nobody ever talks about God. I don't ever want to go to church without telling people about how strong and awesome is our God. And then, last but not least, David says you need to reclaim your confidence in God in the future. Notice verse 21. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Now please... Hear me carefully. In myself, I don't have any greatness for God to increase. What he's talking about here is his influence and his opportunity to make a difference. He says, increase my greatness and comfort and encourage me on every side. Did you know that trials are meant to improve us? Did you know that? They aren't meant to harm us. Trials are meant to improve us, to make us better men and better women so that by God's grace we can accomplish more and our influence can be greater than it was in the past. God doesn't send those things into our lives to totally destroy us and weaken us so that we can't have any impact for him. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Warren Wiersbe sent me that verse while I was away from y'all, and on the card he wrote these words, which I think may be from one of his books. But I kept it, and this is what it says. When God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps one eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. His loving heart knows how much and how long. Amen? Isn't that a wonderful thought? God knows what he's doing when he sends trials into our lives. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Every time you go through a trial, you shouldn't be asking God why. You can waste a lot of time there because he's not going to tell you. He's not going to just open the heavens and say, well, I did this and order that. Instead of asking why, why don't you ask what? Lord, what do you want me to learn in this process? It will totally change the perspective that you have through your difficulty. Lord, what? James 1.3 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 1 Peter 5.10 says, The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory. You see the relationship? I understand now why I heard when I was a younger man that God isn't going to greatly use someone until he crushes him. And I used to always pray to be the exception. And God doesn't have any exceptions. You know, I used to pray, Lord, let me have a ministry without feeling the pain. Before I left to go away for six weeks, I gathered all our staff together. I read to them something that I had found in some notes that I had discovered that very week. It was from the life of Charles Haddon Spurgeon a great preacher of another generation. This is what was such an encouragement to me. I don't know if you ever heard much about Spurgeon's life except for his greatness. He accomplished more in his lifetime than most people will ever accomplish in two lifetimes, and he died at the age of 57. But Spurgeon went through terrible, terrible times in his life. Prolonged bouts of depression and anxiety and all sorts of common problems. His psychological and physical ailments were so crippling that frequently he was confined to bed for weeks. But Spurgeon came to see these problems as part of God's working in his life. His sufferings enabled him to comfort and encourage those who were similarly afflicted. He discovered that his periods of depression invariably preceded a time when God blessed his ministry in a larger way. The depression actually became, said Spurgeon, a sort of John the Baptist for him, heralding a mighty outpouring of God's Spirit. Here are his own words. This depression comes over me whenever the Lord is preparing a larger blessing for my ministry. The cloud is black before it breaks. The scouring of the vessel has fitted it for the master's use. Fasting gives an appetite for the banquet. The Lord is revealed in the backside of the desert while his servant keeps the sheep and waits in solitary. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, this psychologically frail man, published over 3,500 sermons, authored 135 books, and was regarded as the outstanding preacher of his generation. God is up to something when he sends difficulty into our life. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, suppose that isn't the way it happens for you. Suppose 
This disease continues to ravage your body and you are just here for a short time and you're on the glory. You know what? I win either way. (laughs) And in my life or in my death, whatever God designs, he will get glory and honor to his name if I keep my focus right, however tough that may be. Do you know there are a lot of pastors in this country who have gone through a lot worse than I have and are going through it right now? A lot of friends that I know who, if I mentioned their name, you would know them. But I want to tell you about one of them as we close today. Her name is Carol Carlson. And she wrote this. Listen carefully. Kent left the house that Thursday with a smile and a bear hug for his mom. At 18, life was great. He had graduated from high school with honors and had a good job working in a toy factory before starting college. The night before, he had gone to church and heard a message from two verses. All things work together for good and in everything give thanks. Kent was in a thankful mood, especially for the airplane he and his dad had just purchased. His dream was to become a missionary pilot and the future looked bright with promise. On Thursday night, he called home and he said, Mom, I'm just going out and practice a few touch and goes. Hold supper for me. I'll be home by nine. He never came home. In a clump of trees at the edge of a little country airport was the crashed plane and the bodies of Kent and his buddy Rick. One moment in time changed our lives. On that warm June night, God chose to take one of our precious children. How does a parent exist beyond that moment? Will the knots in our insides ever go away? In the weeks and months to follow, I learned more about God's love than I had in all my years of being a Christian. I learned that his word speaks to our needs. My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. When I felt helpless to do even the small tasks of the day, I would repeat, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I saw a good-looking blonde kid on the street, I would remember that Kent had underlined in his Bible. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. When I began to indulge in self-pity, I would embrace my husband, Ward, who was suffering as intensely as I was. And remember, God said, encourage one another and build up one another. We were strengthened as we encouraged others. And his little brother didn't understand why his buddy didn't come home. And his big sister lost her pal and confidant. The friends in the youth group at church questioned God. And the kids at school asked why. The grace of God not only gave us comfort but also the urgency to reach out to others. Ward and I grew closer together as we went to other parents who had suffered a loss. We developed an uncommon boldness to reach out to those who were hurting. A greater tragedy than losing a child is not to know Jesus Christ personally. How grateful we are that our children, all of them, know and love him. Life has meaning when we have the assurance that we shall meet again. Carol Carlson. I'm not trying to tell you folks this life is easy, but I can tell you it's victorious. When you know Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ, you can go through whatever is put in front of you with a kind of power and strength that the world won't know anything about. And I'm telling you, if you don't know Christ, you're going into the battle without any gun. You're going into the battle with no armor. You're going into the battle in your own strength and you're going to fall on your face because God is the only one who can help you when trials come into your life. So I ask you today, do you know him? 
Have you met him through his son, Jesus Christ? Have you ever asked Christ to come into your life and confessed your sin and said, I'm going to live for God and give Jesus Christ my heart? That's the beginning place. You say, well, I'm not in any trouble right now, but that doesn't make any difference. You have to start where you are. And if God has spoken to your heart, I'm going to ask you to give your heart to him today while the Lord God is talking to you. Amen. If you ever needed the Lord, you need him when you're going through difficult times. He wants to be there for you, but first you must confess your sin and ask him to come and be your savior and become a Christian. I hope you will do it today. It's a good day to do it. Hey, the weekend is about uh, to arrive, and I want to just encourage you to get to your church. If you haven't been going to church, you should start this weekend. Get back to church, back to your friends, back to the preacher, back to Sunday school classes and study groups, back to the place where you will find the strength you need to face whatever comes in the future. Church is very important, and this program is not a, a, a replacement for the church. It's an encouragement to go to church. We will be on television someplace in your community. You'll find us over the day. You can DVR us if we're at the wrong time for your church, but we hope you'll watch and be a part of the television ministry over the weekend. And then be sure to join us as we continue our journey through this incredible study of the Psalms. Next Monday, we're going to talk about how to have help for your life from Psalm 121. I hope you'll join us then. Have a great weekend, friends, and thanks for being a part of this great Bible study family. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If your faith is growing through this ministry, we'd love to hear from you. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This, a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand on any screen with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus. For a monthly gift of any amount, visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, When Your World Falls Apart, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Are you searching for a way to begin each day filled with energy and joy? It starts by saying good night to restless sleep. In his book, Sleep on This, Dr. David Jeremiah provides nightly readings to help quiet our minds and calm our spirits. And when you donate $75 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you a special set that includes this book and material from the series, When Your World Falls Apart. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. 
When two American medical missionaries contracted the Ebola virus in West Africa, I was surprised to read some critical opinions about them. Some people suggested they should never have taken the risk of becoming infected and bringing the disease back to American shores. But there's always a price to pay and a risk to take when engaging in sacrificial service. Christ took a risk and paid a price when He came to earth to heal a sin-sick world. And thankfully, He, along with the two modern medical missionaries, recovered fully from their suffering. Sacrificial service is at the heart of the Christian faith. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's definition of sacrifice on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.